Welcome to Urban Bitch Tourism with Amber and Veronica, as well as our many wonderful guests. Coming to you live from the van, en route to Tinghir and our hotel. Veronica, where exactly are we? Well, I cannot say because we are passing by so many places, so I stopped counting at some moment. The point is, we're coming to you live from Morocco and we will be so excited to share our adventures coming up very soon. Thank you for joining us this week on Urban Beach Tourism. I hope we also are. I'm not sure. <laughs> if we return, thank you. So just to start off the episode, we're going to give a couple of brief, just like background and definition. We talk a little bit about exotic, and so we're kind of going to define uh, exotic cultural tourism. And then we're also going to talk a little bit about just Morocco as a destination. Veronica, could you tell us the definition for exotic cultural tourism? So exotic cultural tourism is defined as tourist expeditions aimed at the participants meeting with foreign and distant existing cultures or the traces of all remote cultural cultures outside their own continent or undertaken by participants attempting to achieve such meetings. Yes, what a such fun a long what definition. A, <laughs> oh my god. What a long definition. So it kind of starts in this concept of leaving your continent. In the articles we looked at, they're talking more from a European perspective. Um, as but we. yeah, as we did in this case. But in general, this exotic cultural tourism, it's different for different people because depending on where you live or where you call home base, if you go to a different continent, it can be very, very different for you in terms of the experiences there. Um, so we kind of look in a little bit about this, which is exotic tourism, but also affinity tourism, which is more about people wanting to travel somewhere that's more familiar to their home, either country, continent, culture. So in some cases, we were reading articles about people from India and China visiting Indonesia and seeing how that experience can be. If you pick a destination that's, you know, in a similar cultural or maybe say, oh, I want an Asian, Asian cultural context, but then that can also still surprise you because maybe you think you have more in common, but there are other things that are different. In terms of Morocco, just talking about uh, Morocco as a destination, it, uh, how many tourists did it have in 2019, Veronica? Oh, so uh, pre-COVID figures say that it used to be 13 million tourists in 2019. Yes. What about in 2020 when pandemic hit? Yeah, unfortunately decreased uh, to 3 million tourists. And then it seems like recently it's been close again. So 2021 was also 3, 4 million, something around that. And we were so fortunate in this in this uh, podcast to discuss, but in this uh, opportunity to visit because it just opened up by air for us here in the EU um, in 2022, February 7th. So it was very recent. That's also why we got very excited to book our trip fast because we knew it was finally available. And I think it was April 25th, but also sea travel just recently opened up. So. Very, very exciting. And in terms of Morocco as a tourism destination, uh, as we mentioned in the episode, it was originally 
uh, colonized by the French. And so there is this Francophone aspect in terms of language access aside from Arabic and Berber. And then also we realized something through our flights that Ryanair was one of, is the airline we took, but it was accessible because why? Oh, I didn't know that. In yes. 2006, EU and Moroccan airline aviation agreement happened. Yes. Surprisingly. So now we have this incredible, affordable, cheap tickets yes <laughs> from Spain mostly I guess <laughs> yes true from our destination here in, in southern Europe especially it's very easy um, and something else that I found as looking into it is that in the 1920s it was kind of established as more of a luxury destination uh, but again because of the aviation agreement it made it more accessible for more people to visit and also under the current royal family's um, infrastructure and kind of initiatives tourism has been very much highlighted so There's more infrastructure now, and also there's like, let's push it, let's get more tourists. I think they wanted to get like 20 million by 2022, which the pandemic kind of stopped because this was an older, older initiative, but still those numbers were quite high at 13 million. And I believe with it opening up again, it'll increase ever more. Yeah, we've already seen an incredible campaign. Yeah, check it out. Yes, Morocco Kingdom of <laughs> Light. Morocco. <laughs> check out their DMOs uh, website and you will learn a lot more. But yeah, so we will be talking in this episode, kind of discussing Morocco as a destination and also covering this concept of exotic. And we can't wait to tell you more. Sahara. Veronica, say hi. Almost sunset and we're heading back to camp. So I'm wondering, here we are sitting at the edge of the Atlantic Ocean next to Hassan II Mosque waiting to get in at exactly two o'clock. And it's absolutely beautiful. We're just thinking here, what are our first impressions of Morocco so far? Veronica, what would you like to say about that? Well, now I have such a crazy mix of for my impressions because we visited so many places and we finally made it to Casablanca, which is just so beautiful. Sitting here, you can listen to their sound of the sea the waves, the sun is shining, and we can see all their, the different colors of the mosque, which we hope to visit today <laughs> by two o'clock. So I'm glad we, we came and we made our Moroccan adventure come true. What beautiful sentiments. I really can't, can't do anything better than that at the moment, but just saying that Oh, in the process, we've also adjusted to some of the local customs and traditions, as well as, you know, being more culturally aware. We were on a hunt for breakfast this morning that lasted maybe three hours because everything is closed. We're here in Ramadan. And so now we finally found something eventually, but we did get a nice walk. We've seen a lot of things and we're still going to explore a bit more. So just enjoying, going with the flow live in life. Thank you. Talk, talk to you more soon.
Welcome back to another episode of Urban Bitch Tourism. Hello, hello. <laughs> Veronica and I are here to join you and discuss at last our lovely trip to Morocco. So without further ado, we're going to kind of dive into things based on our recent reflections about the trip. It's been how long since our trip? Maybe two, three two, weeks? Two weeks, I guess. Yeah. So it's been a little bit of time, but it feels after looking at some pictures, we've brewed some mint tea, got a little wine ready. So taking ourselves back, enjoying that. So to start off, let's think about before we got to Morocco, what was one of the reasons that you first wanted to go to Morocco? Well, I must say that my lovely flatmate inspired me to do that crazy adventure once she found amazing and affordable tickets to fly from Sevilla, where we are based currently, and to fly to Morocco using Bainer, amazing, lovely airline company, just for 10 years. <laughs> so the question of affordability played a crucial role in our case since we are poor students. And since we are in the south of Spain and it's quite close to get to such exotic destinations that we are going to touch upon this concept today, in comparison with European destinations that we visited um, during the whole time of our program. True. So we did start off here. In Spain, we started in the north, as we've mentioned before, in the region of Catalonia. And then we decided to come here in the south to Sevilla in Andalusia. And I actually found it very interesting because while I knew you were very interested in living here from previous experience, I had never been to Sevilla before. But when I was looking at the region and thinking of how cool it would be and kind of see that more of the Spanish cultural side, I also liked that it had some architectural and kind of mixed culture elements which actually did factor into, I would say, in Morocco, coming from this region, you do see some buildings that have similar styles. There are things that are a little bit more, less, I would say less shocking if you're, if you're coming from this region after being here for a while to Morocco. But Morocco was a place I really wanted to go and part of my dream of living here for this semester in the South involved wanting to go. Although I didn't know it would be so affordable. While we'll save a sustainability discussion for another episode, the cost was absolutely amazing for us. And yes, this concept of exotic. So I think it's come up a few times since while we were traveling and since then that we've talked about it. But what would you say exotic has kind of meant to you on a personal level? Yeah, it's interesting because I would say it's quite individual. It depends on your background, where you're coming from, what you've experienced before that. And as we were talking with our um, co-travelers during one of the trips, and they would mention, yeah, coming from Europe, of course, Morocco is one of African destinations exotic to us because our architecture is different, culture, traditions, religion, 
uh, it's worth mentioning that we came during Ramadan time. <laughs> so we had kind of cultural shock. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never experienced nothing like that. Yeah, also going to a Muslim country. So everything was new to me. I was quite open to that. But still, something that was that I wasn't prepared to see. So that was exotic. So I could say it's, it equals to uncommon, unusual to me, unconventional mm -hmm. in some way. In some ways, yes. I think we had, you know, the five five times call for prayer, the way people dress, the way businesses are opened or closed, mostly closed during the holiday period. Um, it was very interesting to experience that while there. And yeah, I would say like when you think of exotic, it is something that's very different from what you know. And I think it's interesting because the more you travel, you might, you know, find yourself in new places and think, oh, I'm not going to have culture shock again. But then you can go to a new place that's maybe different in ways you've never been before. And I would say that that kind of is the case if, especially I would say, yeah, if you're coming from Europe and going to Morocco, that's definitely a shock. Though we did talk maybe if you're going between regional countries, it's not so shocking to you. Um, but that was very exciting, I think, for both of us to get to go there. And I know it has sort of reignited, like opened my realm of what's possible. We were talking about other destinations threatening to go to Egypt because we wanted to keep traveling. But we did come back to Sevilla, so don't worry, tears, but we're here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what we were preparing for when we went there. So kind of just the process, like how many days we were there and also like, did we have to do things for travel during COVID times? Let's hear more about that. Yeah, I must say I'm very grateful again to my lovely flatmate because she was in charge of this huge preparation part and checking different destinations, like small places that we were supposed to visit. And also we decided to have it as a, a combination of self-organized and also package tour, which was a great balance, I would say, since we didn't have to be worried about accommodation and some you know, meals during this, this desert trip that we are going to talk about later. But at the same time, we were quite flexible and had this freedom during our time uh, in the cities and to explore urban destinations like uh, Rabat and Casablanca. No, that's that's very true. I would say, yeah, when we we did have a couple, there's a couple companies here in Sevilla who do trips to Morocco, uh, but at the time, now they are currently back active as some of our friends here have <laughs> discovered, which is amazing. Uh, but at the time when we were doing our initial research, the sea border to cross from Spain to Morocco was still closed. So we took the air, uh, the flight option. And so we did have to take a PCR test, which was quite expensive. The most Seven expensive. Years. Seven years. <laughs> Seven zero. I'm still crying. <laughs> At the airport. So we took that because it was the quickest one, 12 hour return time. But we basically took a shuttle to the airport, <laughs> tested, went back home. And then the very next day went back again for our flight. So that was quite a... Uh, you know, an extra added hassle, I suppose. Also, when you're filling out health forms or passenger locator forms, it's always extra steps when you're traveling. And 
for us also leaving the EU is different. So there's just, you have to kind of be prepared for all of it. Um, it's funny because if you are traveling frequently, which we seem to be in some context during our master's program, especially, you sometimes forget about these little things, but there are a lot of extra hoops to jump through. Uh, our trip, we planned it as a seven day, like full seven day trip with two extra days on the end, which were our travel days. And we did spend one lovely night in the uh, Rabat airport, but we will talk about that more later. <laughs> curious when oh and and to mention where we were planning to go as in terms of destinations as you've mentioned we went to on a desert trip uh, to visit the Sahara which was quite cool that was from Marrakesh all the way to Merzouga and approximately if you do your research it's 350 miles or around 560 kilometers yeah. which Veronica do you remember how you found this out <laughs> Well, I wasn't really aware of that. <laughs> Again, thanks to Amber, who was uh, so responsible of organizing this quite complicated part that um, I wasn't involved in from the very beginning, and I didn't realize how far and how long would it take to travel from Marrakesh, where we arrived by plane, and to go to the desert. And yeah, the trip took us like the whole day. <laughs> Uh, in a lovely van with some other tourists, which, um, yeah, we, we had a lovely company of some uh, Australians, travelers, British travelers, and I think Italian and Portuguese travelers. Uh, so it was a nice experience, but if you opt for that, be ready to, uh, well, train your ass <laughs> in advance, <laughs> because that, it will be in such pain, <laughs> I would say. That is very true. There's a lot of sitting time on this road, road trip is essentially how I would call it. Big road trip. I mentioned uh, bringing a book to read and Veronica was shocked at first and I'm like, well, we're going to be on the road for a while. But I do feel like they, the organizers of the trip did a great job with actually separating it out that first day, which is a long driving day you do end up get you can get picked up from your hotel or a nearby spot we got picked up at the the marketplace and then basically they make i don't even know how many five seven more stops along the way during the day plus lunch so that was kind of cool we'll, we'll get more into it um but then after the desert experience which by the way almost takes you to algeria just so you know <laughs> if you haven't if it looks short on the map think again um then we ended up coming back to Marrakesh at the end, so road trip back, and then we visited Casablanca and then Rabat, and then we flew home to Sevilla from there. So that was kind of our overall trip, but um, I'm curious, what were your first impressions? What shocked you when you arrived at the destination? You mean Marrakesh first? I would say Marrakesh, yes, first. Well... From the very beginning, our flight was delayed, <laughs> so it wasn't the best experience to arrive late at night mm. and like to the place where you have no idea about anything, the language. Well, something was translated in French, and th I think we will also talk about it. Our how they use equally Arabic and French in also Berber languages. 
uh, so it helped a bit. I don't know how how good my knowledge of French <laughs> was it. Uh, and then yeah, so we were not sure how to get to the hotel. Luckily, the the hotel was helpful with the taxi and stuff. Then we had this issue for uh, exchanging the lo- to the local currency our money. So it was not that shocking, but quite stressful. Mm. And then of course when the next day we were in Marrakesh and it was uh, even. The night before, when we arrived, we saw that Central Street full of people during the night. Mm-hmm. They were e- eating, they were celebrating because that was the time when they could eat and finally be out and enjoy the life after the sunset. And the market was full of people selling, bargaining, buying, or tourists, souvenirs, locals. So it was crazy mess and so chaotic. So at first I was like, where am I going to be? What is this place about? So it might be shocking, like coming from I don't know, this kind of European destinations where everything is more or less structured, you have malls and not that old style markets, mm-hmm. I would say. And yeah, and then you have to be prepared to um, <laughs> deal with all the sellers who want to Uh, sell you everything that they can uh, and you don't want to uh, buy it. Orange juice, yes. scarves. Starting from orange juice <laughs> to henna tattoos and uh, I don't know, Adidas uh, uh, trainers, which are not Adidas. <laughs> But yes, find a, out lot of, <laughs> a lot of knockoff products out there for anyone interested. That is true. I feel like the experience of hitting the market or, and even the next day when we did visit the market, like walked through the marketplace, I think we walked through in the morning when it wasn't too busy or chaos, but later it got much more crowded and you do, literally you have to have, this is something that probably, yeah, depending on where you go, different destinations have things in common or differently. Definitely haggling culture and bartering for certain things is is happening in the markets. Um, there are places we went where they had like fixed prices for things, but typically when you're walking around, people do try to get your attention a lot. And even if you just glance, even just a short glance, they're like, ooh, you want a scarf? Come here, <laughs> start talking to you. Come and here now. <laughs> we did notice there was a little bit of a change by destination. When we started in Marrakesh, it was London, Paris, you know, basically calling people by destinations, trying to get their attention. Whereas later in the urban cities after the desert, we had more of a madame, like, but either way, if someone starts calling you, you probably want to keep looking forward and ignore it unless you want help or you need something. But we did kind of, um, I would say what, what shocked I don't know if it would, I would say shocked because I researched it beforehand, but I guess it, there is that difference between reading about it and experiencing it mm, is essentially, and I don't think it's a bad thing either. We'll talk more about it, but most of the time if people offer you something, they want money for it. So even if it's just to like guide you somewhere around the corner or if it's to help you find the restaurant or the hostel, there's just a lot of tips or kind of uh, not really marked prices for things, but then you pay for it later. So on the one hand, it's a big hustle culture, but 
Um, on the other hand, we did witness a lot of levels of poverty or, or relative poverty. So we understand, um, especially in specific cities and areas, that you know people need to make a living, so it makes sense. Um, but that can be quite shocking when you're not used to it, especially if you're used to having very set or agreed upon prices for things. So that was definitely a big uh, shock. But in general, the market, I just remember like the sights, the smells, like spices, different things. It's exciting and interesting, um, but you do feel very immersed in like a very uh, busy environment. So I think that can be. Interesting. If you're not ready, if you're not ready to pay attention to your surroundings, then you're in trouble <laughs> because even just foot traffic or motorbikes around, even in Marrakesh, you have to be quick on your feet because you could get run over or someone runs into you. So you just have to be quick, quick moving. Um, which once you get adjusted to is is fun, but I could also imagine it can be stressful, and it was in certain times. So. Let's talk a little bit about the desert trip itself. Um, we've mentioned it a, a tiny bit in the beginning here, but how about what was one of your favorite things from the desert trip? On that long, long road trip across across yeah. the country. Of course, I mean, the first of that was camel ride because it was, again, exotic or unique. It's a new experience to me. I've never uh, tried that before and I even didn't know how to actually climb <laughs> that big camel. How would it be and if I would manage to or to ride it and it was quite smooth and I liked it and also their attitude of local people and guides towards tourists because I know, well maybe they are kind of annoyed because because tourists are coming just enjoying it and for them it's their life mm -hmm. they make a living doing that and it's there are some also ethical questions about how to use and involve animals in the, the tourism industry so I don't know I hope that those camels were treated well but yeah we, we saw some uh, well let's say episodes when they were forced mm -hmm. to to keep going and it's not a pleasant thing to see but overall like when you are there and you see like how how enormous that space and at the same time you have this mixed feeling because everything is dead there is only sand but you kind of see the end of it there are no limits and you are there it's a kind of open universe, and then the sun is either we were uh, watching the sunset or the sunrise, and you kind of keep this hope of the life is still there, despite the fact that everything is gone there. There are just sand that is left. I don't know, it, it had quite a strong impression on me, <laughs> I don't know. But I would recommend everyone to see that once in a lifetime. It was an amazing experience. I feel like even before reaching the desert, to me, the whole road trip element is just kind of a fun thing. And we did, you know, had our bonding, our jokes and our annoyances all mixed in with our 
road trip companions because um, we didn't know anybody going into it because it's an organized tour. But I think we were lucky there were only 10 of us, I think, eight, eight to 10. At one point, we lost some people. At one point, we rescued another van. <laughs> so, so that, you know, those are also the elements I would say that are very telling in the desert journey was that I... We left the big touristy city, which is great, but you can tell there's a lot more people, a lot more offerings in Marrakesh, a lot more, um, you know, just job opportunities as well. But I do feel like as we traveled further, everybody knows each other. The people doing our guides know a lot of people along the way. They all are kind of looking out for each other. In some cases, it feels um, like you said, like maybe in more desolate environments where there's a lot less uh, I don't know, even just, yeah, like we saw a lot of uh, subsistent farming, you know, people having their own plot or their own date palms, their own areas where they're uh, keeping a garden. Um, but there's also just a lot of, yeah, not wasteland, but, you know, actually I felt it was quite varied as we went. Some areas there were mountains and there was more greenery. Then we got to parts where it was just more sand and uh, desert type of look. Um, and then the actual desert itself. So you, there was lots to see along the way. We did kind of make some fun car games, which I thought was quite amusing. Uh, but one of those games that I have played at home in Nebraska, which is Those Cows Are My Cows, which you just shout every time you see cows out the window, much to the chagrin of the driver, I'm sure, or your fellow uh, car mates, van mates. I should say they were not only cows, but then pots and scars and donkeys and, and camels <laughs> and everything. We just, it was so funny because we kind of adapted to what was around us. And so that also showed a passage of time and geographical changes um, because you did see suddenly, you know, it wasn't a donkey. It was like, oh, it's a camel. <laughs> so exciting. So you had to adapt, which was also fun. Um, I also just really enjoyed the little stops along the way. We visited a Todra Gorge area and mm. kind of visited one of the guide's uh, homes of, again, some people from the Berber group. And we also did that in... Ait uh, Ben Hadu as well, which is a cool little village that only has a few families living there now, leftover. Um, water access is not great, so I think they told us they, they live further away during the night, but they come back in the daytime. Uh, and now it's kind of like a still maintained, built cultural heritage kind of spot. And they also do, you know, tours, like tourism is basically one of their main things and then film tourism is the other one so they they were giving us even our guide there was super funny just telling us the different movies he'd either been in or he knew someone from uh off the top of my head i remember the mummy movies were filmed there gladiator and gladiator is a really big one uh, I think Game of Thrones was also filmed there briefly. Where was it not filmed, to be honest? <laughs> um, so that was kind of cool to hear. And then in the other destination we visited near the Todra Gorge, we also got to see one of the collectives where they were making carpets. Um, and I bought one of those, which was cool. <laughs> but it was really just interesting to hear them talk about how it's made, how long it takes and the way that they do the patterns as well. Like they're not trying to do a manufactured version or a set design. They're just kind of creating the design as they go. I think they have motifs or elements from their culture that they include, but it just changes along the way. So I don't know, I felt like the hospitality we felt in the desert was really high, even 
there were situations where people wanted tips or wanted money for something, but I felt for the most part they were upfront about it and they were at least more chill than in Marrakesh. So that was that was an interesting element. And yeah, of course, going to the desert. Would you tell us more about the evening desert experience? Huh. Oh, yeah. That was great. The best meal ever. And Amber was very worried about the shortage of water. <laughs> and I was so chill about that. I don't know. I was like, well, I'm not gonna die. <laughs> Even if yes, well, it's a nice place. Why not? <laughs> so I was reckless as usual. But no, it was great. I never expected the accommodation would be so fancy and it's possible to construct that kind of glamping mm -hmm. in the middle of the desert and I had a king-size bed <laughs> king-size bed in the desert yes. can you imagine that yeah so if you're going for this trip you shouldn't be worried about like how you're going to camp there or you should bring a tent or not so everything was provided and the meal was great they treated us with the local food that we're going to talk about mm -hmm. and then there was there this evening when uh, the guides were playing uh, local music I don't know what was that so they were just playing the drums and singing and then we were dancing some people danced <laughs> around the fire because we made a fire and then we could see the stars in the oh. sky lying uh, on the sand and it was amazing because the sky was so clear. It was picturesque and beautiful. And we had a cake, <laughs> yes, because another <laughs> tour group came and somebody who was called Sarah in the Sahara had her birthday, so we joined the party even if we were uninvited. So it was cool, I don't know, incredible experience. It was amazing. And I think it was also something where we started talking about, like, after going on this experience, we talked a lot about, like, the value chain and how things worked along that, you know, which companies are getting jobs, which people, what positions people are doing, the bulk of the work. Um, but we were also talking about how people working there at the edge of the desert, that it just seemed like they were pretty chill, pretty happy, pretty content with things and that it's kind of a cool element to be able to share your home. Our, our camel guide was, had previously lived nomadic mm -hmm. lifestyle and then decided to work with tourists. He seemed relatively young, but probably, he's, I think he was a bit older than I expected. <laughs> um, but that was really interesting. It was just cool that they, I felt like they were very open about welcoming us, even if they don't know everything about you. They're just like, yeah, enjoy, enjoy our home here. And that was very special. Um, so I really, I also really appreciated yeah, that. Amber had the drumming workshop. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I feel like I, when I first started, it was better than any other time. <laughs> Every time I actually tried to follow some sort of pattern, I would get lost. But it was very fun. The dancing, the stargazing, the laughing. It was just a fun time. It was a... Uh, really amazing trip and I'm really glad we decided to include that in our Morocco trip. Um, so then after the desert, <laughs> so we could talk first I guess a little bit about Marrakesh in terms of cultural sites because we talked about the market a bit but we also got to see some nice stuff there. How did you first like experience that for you like the sites we went to 
Yeah, and I think now uh, after visiting it, I feel like it's the most touristic uh, place in Morocco because mainly tourists are going to Marrakesh when they go to Morocco, not necessarily visiting Casablanca and Rabat because Marrakesh is the, the most picturesque place. I don't know. Well, I I would agree probably because uh, uh, it has plenty of cultural sites and gardens which we visited, and I was amazed by them. And there are some places that were uh, included in Anna Delvi. What was that? <laughs> Inventing Anna. <laughs> yes, and then my, it was also working to promote Morocco somehow. I don't know it was, if it was uh, pictured as um, <laughs> in a nice way, so to speak. True. But no, I I must say that yeah, people who were are seeking to have this luxury way of holidays can do it in Morocco, in Marrakesh, definitely, mm-hmm. and find this kind of fancy hotels and visit the, all these pretty gardens that were renovated. Some of them, as a Secret Garden was renovated quite recently, and it was incredible work done, uh, and we enjoyed it a lot. So there's a cafe there, so you can stay and enjoy the view from the terrace on the rooftop and I just walking around I enjoy the architecture honestly because despite this chaotic <laughs> movement in the streets and the city center is still uh, it's amazing to see that kind of uh, mix of Arabic Muslim culture and still the, the influence of uh, different ages mm-hmm. I would say no, that was that was very interesting to notice. We as we went around, we kind of had like we were in Marrakesh for a day before the desert, and then we came back for another day after. So we also had a better chance to kind of contrast, <laughs> see the contrasting aspects. Oh, sure, yeah. um, of course, I loved the brunch access. I the rooftop bar scene there for dinners or brunches or teas, whatever was amazing. We did have a few cats try to follow us onto our table a couple times. Um, but I think those views are beautiful. Just as you said, like of course it can be very much a luxury destination, but also very budget friendly. Our uh, Riyadh style hostel was how much per night? Like around seven, I would say per seven person. euros. Oh, even no, not per person for Boston Pot. Really? Uh, I could be mistaken right now, but it, again, it depends. But if it's just yeah, guest house style of accommodation, I guess it's around 10 years. We're also talking to a Genius Level 3 <laughs> Booking.com member. I, I, I had some discounts, okay, but I, I guess in general it would be still affordable. So I do think that's nice because the Riyadh is basically like the old house style that's like multiple levels with an inner courtyard, very pretty, and so now a lot of them have been owned by someone and turned into a hostel or a hotel or something of the sort. So. That was really cool to like experience. You definitely are more connected to your other guests if people are awake or making noise or whatever. That that you're definitely like aware of all that. But I think a lot of the way buildings are designed, especially with the gardens as well, is it's kind of like these little oasises from the city. So it's also nice. Even the Riyadh is like that. It's like once you get inside, it's like your refuge kind of place, um, which is very very nice and. I also liked, yeah, some of the sites we saw. We got to see the Bahia Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did hear a man walking around say 
it's just like the Alcazar, <laughs> which we did kind of play around with that in our on our page, kind of posting stories and saying, is this Sevilla, Cordoba, Marrakesh? Because you do see that similar influence in tile work um, or in the building, so that's kind of funny. Um, but that's all connected to the, uh, well, in Morocco, it's obvious, but in southern Spain, as we've talked about, the 800-year rule of uh, one of the Islam rulers, uh, Muslim rulers who came up there. So there's a lot of that kind of architecture <laughs> influence. Um, but it was cool to note that. And I also, one of the ones I really liked was the the body place. Yeah, I, and I don't know if that was body palace or exactly, because it, it wasn't completely finished. There were, there were some elements that were not finished, but it was huge. It was just basically this huge complex. You did have to go in through the walls um, and you had a little bit of a museum around underneath as you went through, mostly in Arabic and French. I would say, thankfully, Veronica has her Frank, <laughs> her French, well, her French skills, which were at I least my best. <laughs> at least enough to help us get around and understand some of these things. But I will say, in terms of interpretation, it was very interesting for me because usually I am used to going somewhere that's more anglophone. So. If they're not, you know, if it's not the local language, they'll have English somewhere. Whereas I did notice in most of our Moroccan destinations, if it's not Arabic or maybe a Berber language, it's French. So um, that was interesting to see as well. And, you know, there's lots, lots to enjoy. But that complex, we once you get inside, you can walk around for quite a while. And it's just the scale of it is what's so cool. I, re I think that's one of my favorite sites. It was very huge. There's a big water pool that goes long ways all the way through and and then you're inside these big almost city walls so that was very very cool um but i yeah i very much very much enjoyed that what did you think of our next city which was casablanca yeah casablanca was incredible because finally we came to the seaside <laughs> <laughs> no i have a soft spot for <laughs> any kind of sea or beach <laughs> so oh. we, again we managed to combine beach and urban destinations uh, so Casablanca was a great example of it and uh, it was interesting since it didn't used to be such a tourist destination and now well now I mean several years ago when the uh, Hassan's second mosque was built and it attracted a large number of tourists coming to see the this is an incredible piece of architecture, I must say. And we were lucky to visit it during Ramadan, mm -hmm. and it's open uh, to visitors, um, to practitioners, and even if it's a new construction, because normally tourists are seeking to see something that has certain historical value, mm -hmm. and here we didn't have that much. But still, uh, in terms of aesthetic, uh, uh, um, aspect, how beautiful is it? Mm -hmm. it? It impressed me a lot. No, I think definitely that was interesting um, for for those out there who are you know thinking of the film, the iconic film Casablanca. It was never filmed there. Surprise! <laughs> so fake they do <laughs> fake news. They do they that was done on a set, which is shocking, but. They do have uh, a cafe, Rick's Cafe, that is basically modeled after the film. So it's not where it was filmed, but they like recreated it. We tried to get in several times, but it was closed that day. Um, again, as you mentioned, we kind of, 
I think probably because of either the timing of Ramadan, because we were close to the end um, toward Eid, so that was getting close, or also just because we were outside of Marrakesh. Marrakesh was more catering to tutor, uh, tutors, <laughs> tourists, so it was easier to get access to restaurants or things like that. Probably they had longer hours. Whereas what we realized, that was a bit of a shock in Casablanca and Rabat was, oh wait, nothing's open. So we did spend the first three hours in Casablanca in the morning just searching for breakfast. We were just walking and it was, it was a hot day. It was, we saw the sea, that was amazing. But we were just making our way for ages, trying to find something. Um, we did walk past the mosque at that point. Um, we went to Legatsby, which was closed. How dare they? And eventually somewhere nearby there was a bakery. Um, one of the ladies working there kind of told us, oh, this is the only place open and redirected us somewhere else, which happened to be back where we had started. So we had to make a long walk. Um, but we did stop by a little uh, convenience corner stop to get a little packaged cookie type of thing and some <laughs> water. Uh, so it was an interesting time, but we definitely ended up, you know, assimilating by basically fasting. Not intentionally, but it happened. And eventually we did get a meal. We actually also got to try some of those delicious Moroccan sweets, um, which we'll talk about food in a minute as well. <laughs> but uh, it was it was good. I mean, a after that bumpy start, we did, I feel like the day in Casablanca, the full day in Casablanca, we did like so much stuff. So we ended up just seeing everything that day and walking all over the place. We did eventually get to the sea again and the mosque and got in eventually on the third time. Um, but the mosque was amazing. I really enjoyed that. As you mentioned, it's most mosques aren't able, you can't visit if you're not a practitioner. So that was really cool already. They do have uh, requirements that you have to have your shoulders and your knees covered. So that's very important. Um, we did see someone turned away from that and it was a bit of a conflict slash misunderstanding, but it did kind of um, also make us think about that in terms of how you can both be a better, more culturally sensitive tourist and also as a provider um, in terms of interpretation at some of these sites, maybe they need to explain better just if they're welcoming people in um, so that people know, oh, I need to cover myself and do this and that. But it was interesting. We talked a lot about that at that point. But um, what did you think of the mosque itself? Like once we got to go in, which by the way, we got a student discount. Woo woo! <laughs> yeah, don't forget your student ID. Uh, well, I, I, as I said, I was impressed. And that before that, we visited the mosque in Cordoba, mm -hmm. which was inactive different yeah mm -hmm. it was inactive it, it works as a museum but no still there are some services happening there but it was still different from what we saw because in Cordoba it's kind of a mixture of um, Muslim architecture and Christian because mm -hmm. it used to be a, also, I guess uh, working as a Christian cathedral mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken and then th this was just enormous building in Casablanca uh, on the seaside. Um, to me, it looks like a, a huge lighthouse. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I see like during the night when it's uh, it has lots of lights uh, and you can see it uh, when you are far away in the sea and it attracts your attention. So I don't know in inside. 
We had a we had a guided tour, so yeah. you definitely need to be on a tour. And you know, you almost left me for the French tour, <laughs> but but at least they provide in different languages, so you see they true. tailor the needs. They're more inclusive about that. They definitely have you know their set speech or whatever they're informing people of, but I mean it's huge the scale of it. I think. Overall, they said it can fit around 105,000 worshippers. So it was like inside is like 25, and then outside maybe 80, 85. So thousand, I mean. <laughs> so、um, that was cool. Also, just the fact that it was a modern mosque, the way that they were able to design it. She was explaining that the ceiling opened up, so they they didn't have heating or air conditioning inside. But they would literally open up the entire ceiling, to, so you could also at night see the stars, and it would also aerate the the mosque for people. So we got to see the the area where people do like their earlier cleansing, like with washing.、Um, I don't know. It was just a cool. It was a cool experience. I really liked that a lot. We did visit. What was supposed to be the world's largest mosque in Rabat? Later, what did you think about Rabat, which is also the capital of Morocco and our last city destination? Well, of course, maybe if you visited after Marrakesh, you wouldn't be so surprised. So, because it's mostly modern architecture all around. Now even a country call. <laughs> okay, let me refresh your memory.、Uh, yeah. We walked to the tower again. I think the Hassan Tower, which is where this mosque was.、Oh, it's a、okay. bunch of okay. pillars. Okay. Okay. And you're right. Like it's much more modern there.、Mm-hmm. So it is something where I did think of that in both Rabat and Casablanca, where I was like, yeah, if you're looking for something exotic and crazy different from what you're used to, maybe it's not、mm-hmm. as shocking. Uh, public transportation was pretty amazing, although it didn't go to all the places we needed. But that metro,、um, <laughs> I was in love. But no, I think I I don't know. I really loved Rabat, but I think we were walking a lot, just like following the paths because we went down by the sea with the blue boats.、Mm-hmm. There's Saleh across the water. You can see kind of the old Kasba area, which. Was under construction. We literally walked through construction sites. Yeah, everything's under construction. <laughs> But the views of the sea, I thought, were also very beautiful there. And yeah, the markets, the souks that we went into there、mm-hmm. were pretty quiet initially.、Um, not not all of them. Not all of them. I'm thinking I'm thinking of the carpet one, where we got some souvenirs. That was very like almost nobody was there. The other market we went to. Do you want to tell us more about that market with food? <laughs> the food market. No, yes, and actually, if you want to experience local culture and local food,、mm-hmm. go to the market. <laughs> I remember my mom was saying it all the time whenever、mm-hmm. I was traveling. Did you go to the market? And that's true. That represents the country in the best way. I think Morocco is the case,、uh, and Rabat was that because we didn't even only try Moroccan. Uh, Treats, but also from Syria. Syria. Yes. <laughs> so that was great, and、uh, yeah, we got some souvenirs, and、uh, we were just walking around. <laughs> we had like we made thirty, no, around thirty thousand steps. Oh god! <laughs> Whatever number of steps we had, which was too many thousands for me. She looked at me. <laughs> you looked at me, and we're just. Like, 
like, only this number? Only 27,000, only 30,000. I was like, oh my gosh. We did walk a lot. I did really appreciate that in the markets, in Rabat, yeah, the food markets. Well, in the morning, it was different because people were fasting. Later on, it was wild. And I also thought that that was my favorite market to walk through, even though we were literally stuck in crowds for a long time. Um, because I, I didn't see foreigners there. I felt like it was just very, like, we were in the thick of things. And we were buying snacks and fresh squeezed orange juice, basically every time we stopped somewhere to get something, which was delicious. And I don't know, yeah, you can easily get lost or just stuck in those types of markets. Um, but it's beautiful, it's fun. And also food is much more affordable there, of course. Mm. So. You can get a lot of snacks, you can get pastries covered with bees, but the bees fly away. <laughs> that, that was my experience. <laughs> but um, that yeah, was some I, of the most delicious food. <laughs> yes, I definitely loved it. Uh, yes, and as Amber mentioned, I was terrified by insects. <laughs> so I couldn't hide the uh, trading. But uh, overall, yeah, we tried also to visit some gardens, <laughs> but they were closed. Unfortunately, we were not lucky with that. So you have to keep in mind. So some places are closed uh, around 5 p.m. And then, uh, yeah, you cannot go around. Well, you can. You can just walk. But sometimes you Oh, can... we walked. We yes. walked. <laughs> but then don't forget about public transport. Well, of course, it's individual, but personally, I love walking, and that's how I get to know a new place, uh, just walking around. But public transport can be a good option when you're exhausted. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm like thinking of a very specific moment. Let me paint a picture for you. We've just walked down the same sidewalk for who knows how long, 40 minutes probably, <laughs> or more. And we've reached the garden, which is closed. <laughs> so then we take pictures outside, crying. We try to find a nice little snack spot, which is also closed. Dip and dip. We sit, my lovely tour guide, Veronica, <laughs> let us found a nice uh, cement seats on the ground. So we hung out there for a while. It was actually great. <laughs> I felt so good sitting. <laughs> so you see, you would have missed all this if we uh, oh. had had your public transport. What I didn't miss was that after we left the palette, the royal residence, which we were not allowed to go up to, <laughs> and it was a little, a little, I don't know, they kind of veered us away. They told us to, you know, they gave us a sign that we weren't supposed to go there. So we walked away and then look what we found, but nothing but the metro, which would have taken us all the way to this area. <laughs> we did take it back, to be fair. So, no, I, I also would say I love I do love walking in terms of travel, but I like to mix in occasionally, if there is, a bus or a metro when, it, when it's convenient. Um, but I would say I agree that like a lot of tourists, especially in the cities, I think maybe like in Marrakesh we saw more of it, but a lot of people will get a taxi for anything. And of course you can, and if your budget allows and it's more convenient, that's okay. But our, even our um, Riyadh like, host told us, oh, you have to get a taxi for the secret garden and we were like mm. we walked there pretty easily so it just you know it depends on your ability as well and and yeah the threshold you have for how you get around but let's just say we walked a lot during this trip but we did sample we did sample some of the things i'm actually curious about the food since we've mentioned it a couple of times what was your experience of food in morocco 
You will laugh, but again, I actually love tagine. <laughs> Is it tahin? Tajin? <laughs> yes, I hope I pronounce it correctly, but uh, it's some kind of um, uh, vegetables with beef or any kind or a different sort of meat, I'm not sure. But it's quite nutritious, and uh, if you have it for lunch, it would be full for the rest of the day. So that's kind of popular, and they try to um, use various uh, spices for that. Um, maybe I was not a big fan of all the spices, <laughs> but in general it was fine. And I enjoyed pastries because there are different small cookies with almond. Um, you will just enjoy trying them all. <laughs> and oranges, <laughs> I don't know, it's typical, maybe not. But uh, at every corner you could see that. And freshly squeezed oranges, it's what, what I can't resist. <laughs> I would say we maybe got it at every corner. <laughs> we stopped for that fresh OJ quite a lot. Um, one other thing, yeah. mint tea. Uh, and we are drinking oh. it right now. Yeah. Oh yes, we have some. It's, it's not as good. Yeah, this is tea culture, definitely. And if you want oh. coffee, you won't have it. Oh, true. <laughs> no, you can you can have it, but you would be disapproved by locals. Yeah, coffee. As as an avid iced coffee lover myself, it was far, <laughs> far much more difficult to find it. So for the most part, we did switch to tea. We did find coffee at places. Starbucks in Casablanca. Okay, <laughs> that was part of our transportation route, and that was amazing. They provided Wi-Fi and frozen coffee. That was nice. But aside from that, <laughs> that whole detour, I I really loved the mint tea. And when we were in the desert, we had that like mint mm -hmm. and anise tea, which was really, really delicious. So actually. I would say the tagine, tahine, <laughs> that traditional dish, also a couscous or things like that. Mm. Those are good. I would say at some point as a tourist, especially if you're only eating at restaurants, it can get a bit tiring because that's a lot of places their menu is very uh, narrow with those types of items. Um, depends, of course, where you go. You can get a lot of international food in the cities, but at least on our desert trip, we would be stopped at like roadside mm. cafes and they have set menus and it's tagine, couscous, mm -hmm. maybe salad, maybe something that I wouldn't really call Italian pizza, <laughs> but mostly, it's mostly, <laughs> mostly it's those things. So we did end up having it quite a lot and it is, I would say it's fine. Like you said, it's very nutritious. It's hearty, like it's a, a solid meal, um, but I wouldn't want to eat it every day, I would say, but we did mix it up. We also had really nice, um, the traditional breakfast style with like the special types of breads, okay. usually with an omelet, they would serve it orange juice and tea. So I don't know, it was super nice when we got to have that on like a, as like a rooftop experience. Um, that was at our Rabat. Yeah, in our Riyadh. guest house. Oh, guest house, yes. Mm -hmm. That was really, really nice. And that place, I think we were the only guests at that time, but it I was- I haven't seen anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very nice stay as well. So I, yeah, I did enjoy that. Um, but yeah, no, the teas, the teas were definitely good. And the treats, I love the little cookies and things. And the, in the marketplace, it's the best. They're cheapest, and you can just pick and choose all sorts of little goodies. Um, okay, as we're, as we're getting to the like overall ideas of the trip, <laughs> um, what did you find that was like most challenging? And can you think of any like crazy moments from our travels? 
Yeah, maybe challenging going around <laughs> with all, all these issues with public transport because we actually had to take taxi various uh, times because uh, there was no way <laughs> uh, that we could go to the uh, railway station sometimes because the public transport wouldn't work, they just shut down. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because of Ramadan or any other reason. And then we had basically to get a car in the street, <laughs> which is not common experience right now with all these apps uh, like Uber and others. And um, with the, sometimes with local currency, it was challenging since uh, it was hard to, to decide how much we would need. And then we had to exchange several times or uh, find the ATM and then we would pay commission, which was <sighs> annoying, I know, but well, what to do. And yeah, the craziest moment to meet is our way to the airport, <laughs> because our flight was quite late, hello Rainier, yes, she flight. I mean, it was quite early, but we had to go to, to, the, to the airport, airport quite late uh, the night before. And uh, we were hopeful that the bus would come, <laughs> and we actually checked it in advance. And I was talking to a lovely policeman yes. that I was so worried about. I was practicing my French, and he was so helpful. Mm -hmm. And we saw the bus leaving from the bus station. But when we came later that evening, it never showed up, and we were advised again by locals or not locals to get a taxi, which we did, but it wasn't that smooth, because <laughs> when we were trying to negotiate the price, at first we we called it a, a taxi on the street, and then we realized that there is an order, and you cannot skip it. Yeah, so a line of taxis, yes. you have to go to the front taxi. Yeah, so they were they started um, arguing in Arabic that which I didn't understand apparently. Probably intentionally. <laughs> and then some other driver decided to to set the price around thirty euros, which we we were not willing to pay because we uh, we knew that two hundred would be yeah twenty drums, euros, which yeah. is twenty euros would be the maximum that we would pay. So, uh, we were consistent with that. <laughs> yeah, we, we were like, well, probably Veronica was more scared of me than the driver. <laughs> no, at that time when I, when I saw Amber's face, I was like, I'm going to be killed by either this driver or by Amber. So I had no other choice. <laughs> um, so, uh, in the end, okay, the driver agreed to bring us to the airport with one condition that we would have to change a car and he would bring us by his private car. Yeah. So imagine two lovely girls <laughs> at night in Rabat, in the middle of nowhere, with a driver that we don't know, he's saying something in French and I understand just half of what he's saying. <laughs> and then he's dropping us somewhere to change uh, the car and we are going by his car to the airport. <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. His car, then he stopped for gas at some oh, point. Oh, true. <laughs> and I think both of us were just staring. He asked about music and then he played his own music because we were fine with it. And we just both stared out the window wondering, <laughs> wondering if we were actually going to make it to the airport or not. <laughs> but apparently we're still alive, so Yay! all went well. We did make it. We made it just in time to wait for another six hours in the airport, lying on the ground in the benches. That was fun. 
Um, yeah, no, that was a wild experience. Um, I feel like that does connect to my most challenging aspect. That my most challenging aspect, I think, while we were there in Morocco was kind of just the sense that like when you're walking around because of how we talked about people trying to sell you stuff or get your attention and sometimes people you know kind of wanting your attention but they'll be a little bit I wouldn't say aggressive necessarily although we did see a couple of shopping disgruntled shopping customers yelling at shopkeepers Oops. back and forth <laughs> but for the most part people are pretty nice about that um, but I did feel like I kind of I like being smiley and chatty and just like not paying attention or like looking at things when I'm walking down the street. But I just felt like to be more street smart, I had to have more of a bitch face. So <laughs> I've never seen Amber <laughs> with such a beast face. <laughs> so when I when I would embody the bitch face, which was not about necessarily being rude to people, it was just like being very firm and very polite, like just not as you've as Veronica has heard me say a million times like no mercy <laughs> I just that was my constant refrain because people are just trying to get you all the time for something um we even had uh companions from our desert trip who we both got henna tattoos the henna art at a cafe for a fixed price but there are a lot of uh, women in the market who are trying to do that and sell that and Apparently, it's not so uncommon for people to literally grab your hand and start painting your hand, and then you have to pay them what they ask. So that happened to two people we knew from the trip, which we were totally shocked by. We were like, no, we would just run away <laughs> or maybe even like flail your arm or something. Um, and so when we were in the marketplaces again, we even heard a kid saying that to someone out loud just near us. He was like, I got a scorpion on my arm. And we were both just like covering our hands and our sleeves and like trying to run away from that. Um, so I think, yeah, me in terms of like the challenge to maintain a bitch face or just a serious face, just not like smiling at people or making eye contact, not in all of our exchanges with people, but when you're in the marketplace or you're walking through a more crowded spot in order to just like get through without having any trouble or getting stopped for something. So that was a bit of a challenge for me, but it also made it so that I was a little less, I guess less trusting than normal. Not necessarily, I'm, I wasn't thinking badly of people. I just assumed that people wanted something. So I was just like, no, no. <laughs> and there was a situation, Veronica, could you tell us more? This was, I believe in Casablanca. Yeah, but there was nothing wrong in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't trust people, as you know. <laughs> but at that moment, yeah, when we were walking and looking for a cafe, <laughs> because everything was closed, and some man just called us and saying that he was working in that hotel that we were staying, so he remembered us. So I turned back and I was just curious to to listen what he was going to say because he started like, oh, don't hold your phone like that because somebody can grab it. Like he was trying to say about some exhibition that happening. So I mean, like he wasn't offering and asking something. That's why I was listening to him. But Amber was so firm saying, no mercy, <laughs> we need to go. And she basically grabbed me and took me to it. <laughs> opposite destination and like oh I will say it was quite a role reversal for us because usually I'm the one who's just like oh 
and you're the one who's like, hmm, Amber, you shouldn't trust someone on the street. I know. But in this scenario, for me, I will say we had never, I had never seen this man before. So I wasn't very comfortable with someone saying, oh, I saw you at the hotel. I'm like, that's cool if you actually did, but I don't need to talk to you. And I, I, I didn't try to be rude, rude. I did say like, no, merci. And like, let's go. We got to go. We were in the middle of the conversation. He grabbed, he came to you and pulled you into a conversation. But also, I I didn't like how he was telling me to watch my, like, don't hold your phone out. Like, I was like, are you going to grab it? Like, why are you telling me that? So I don't know. We had different impressions of the situation, but it was, it was funny. So I, I did think about the fact that like the way you move around in a destination can be very different. I felt like in the desert communities, I felt really chill. But in the city environments, I was just used to so many people, which they did in all three cities, like all day, every day, being like asking you for something. Madame, Paris, London, like trying to grab you, trying to give you something, you know, wanting to paint your hand. There was just a lot of that. So for me, affirm no mercy and keep walking or just no eye contact was how I was going around. But normally I am more of just like a chill, open, smiley person. So that was... Maybe also part of why I didn't leave that character because I wasn't, if I'm in that mentality, I'm not just like switching back and forth. I'm like, nope, no time, no time to talk to people unless I actually, you know, am meeting someone in a casual, like in a conversational way. I was like, no, nope, never seen you before, moving on. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, but yes, we had many challenges, we had many learning moments, which is also good because these are the types of situations you can reflect on, think about how you were feeling in the in the moment, how you feel later, you know, kind of how you would maybe behave in the future or if there are still things you do the same way. So it does it does teach you a lot. Um, but as we're wrapping up, since this episode is stretching further, we're in the home stretch now. <laughs> um, what was your favorite place in our whole trip? The desert? <laughs> <laughs> no, Marrakesh, and I would say the Secret Garden and all the gardens that we visited in, like, in the palaces as well. I just love the nature. <laughs> <laughs> the in the palaces. On the, the combination of na- natural and architectural side. That would attract me. And the mosque as well. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, I adored all the sites that we visited. I know, I think there was a lot to really appreciate and enjoy. I really, yeah, as I said, I loved the body uh, monument building complex. That area was so cool. I really liked the rooftop experience just anywhere because it was, it felt like you're really in the city, especially near the marketplace. Loved walking through that um, souk and rabat, the food one that was just wild but fun and kind of reminded me of other destinations I've lived in or been to before too, which just like took me, brought even more nostalgic memories. And yeah, the mosque was amazing, the sea. I just loved that we could kind of combine different elements into our trip. Um, I guess as a, as a leaving off moment or whatever, um, what would you recommend for people who are wanting to visit? Mm-hmm. Be prepared that what you prepared is not gonna happen. <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> be changed in some way. Because yeah, we had flight delays, we, we had to exchange money, and then we had to have some additional costs that we were not expecting, for example, because at some hotels you would have to pay also tourist 
taxes, city taxes, and something like that. So um, check it on Booking when you are a booker, any accommodation. And then, yeah, always agree on the price that you, you are going to pay, never pay more, and check it. Then when you're going to the desert, you either have your scarf, mm-hmm. because it's some kind of a Sahara passport, as you were told, <laughs> or you're going to be brought to some place where you can buy a scarf. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, the best price or not, but apparently, yeah, if you want to get uh, a scarf from Morocco, it's, it could be a nice gift, which I'm very <laughs> And um, what else? Just be open to to everything that could happen to you, yeah, but don't be so reckless <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> and maybe it's it's good actually to have a company for this kind of destination. I don't know. Maybe if I um, had been a solo traveler, I would have felt in a different way. Mm-hmm. But this experience was incredible. No, that's true. I do think... There is definitely a distinction between, you know, a solo traveler versus traveling with somebody or a group. Um, I think some of the things that we did or situations we were in, probably I wouldn't do as a solo traveler. But then, like, the taxi... Well, taxi was was questionable in all contexts, but still, um, there are certain things that you, you have more... You're more relaxed when you have other... At least someone else with you. Um, but I did like that we were able to be independent, so... I think, yes, decide what type of package you want. If you want to be your own traveler, if you want a combo like we did, I think that worked out really well. In some cases, you could go to the desert on your own, but the one couple we randomly met in met with who did that, um, there's a lot of security checks, checks as you drive across the country. Also, it's a different driving environment. In any case, even if you have an international license, it can be, there's randomly camel or sheep crossings. There's all sorts of things going on. So. It could be easier for the desert trip, for sure, I think, to have some sort of package. And ours was an amazing deal. Um, It was 95 euros per person for for at least four main meals, a night in a really beautiful hotel in Tangier with like a beautiful pool and trees. It was really pretty. And then also the desert camp night experience, which is amazing. So I think, and all the driving, which I would not wish upon anyone it's a lot of driving and our uh, tour guide was great with that our driver was great there are i would say as you said in terms of budgeting more than you think you need but especially the tipping culture is really it's difficult to totally estimate all of that in the in the in advance because sometimes um you know people need that it's not always covered in the budget of a trip um and so that's their wages as well so you do want to be mindful of that so i would say in general I think what benefited us was I do think I would recommend doing research before going into the destination because even the little things, it's not going to go the way you, you plan at all, but any information you have can be helpful in terms of how to dress, in terms of how to go around by yourself or with others, how to interact with people. Um, maybe we could have done a little bit more of Ramadan <laughs> research, but it, that's not so extensive, you know, online I did know it was Ramadan, Ramadan, but I didn't really know how it would affect certain cities. Um, anyway, it's good, to, it's good to know that even with our taxi situation, we knew 200 was the highest limit of what it should be because of previous research. So when you're aware of, yeah, just the numbers, maybe tipping culture, you know, oh, okay, I'm just going to give a few things of change to someone. It's better than having no idea, I would say. 
Um, but then on the other hand, just let yourself enjoy. I think really dive into the experience and be open to just accepting things as they are because it is gonna probably be different from where you're coming from if you're coming from somewhere far away. And you know, you could get irritated or annoyed by a lot of differences, but instead you could just be open to it, enjoy it. Maybe not love every part of it, but just like accept the experience and kind of get into it. Of course, there could be, you know, very challenging situations and you should address those, but in general, like be open and be an adventure of that's sorts. That's the key. <laughs> yeah, that's the key of professional tourists. <laughs> yes, think about the local community while you're there. That's a that's a big thing too. So I think it's possible to have a great experience and also engage people in a good way and a positive way. And I don't know. I just think we enjoyed it a lot. And thank you for listening. We'd love to answer any questions. So if you want to yeah. post or send them our way. The last tip, just print all your documents. Don't just have them on WhatsApp like me ah. when you are at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, True. if you want to get through the border control. <laughs> it is a cash society. It is a paper society. So you should, yeah, print everything. Get local cash, it's closed currency, so you need to get it either at the airport, which I would recommend only a small amount. You can get SIM cards there, we did, it was really simple. Caught the guy right before he went on break or left, we're not sure. So there's just lots of, yeah, do your research, but also just, I don't know, get excited. And definitely I would recommend putting it as one of your your bucket list trips, because I'm so happy we went, it was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us this week and stay tuned for the next episode with our lovely guests who are coming soon. Yes, new guests on the way. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Urban Bitch Tourism. Stay tuned for our next episodes with many amazing guests. And please check us out on our social media page for Instagram at Urban Bitch Tourism for regular updates.